Hello, my name is Hindel Grossman. I'm a divorce attorney in Newton, Massachusetts, and welcome to Inside Divorce, a podcast series published on the 15th of each month. Each guest is an expert in the field of divorce and has fascinating information to share. I hope you'll listen. Hello and welcome to Inside Divorce. My name is Hindel Grossman and today I'm sitting with Robert Taylor, who's an attorney from Idaho. And we're gonna talk about all kinds of interesting things. One thing that Robert and I have been talking about is divorces were military families, but today we're gonna talk about a celebrity divorce. So Robert, tell us a little bit about yourself and then we'll launch into um, something of interest to you. Yeah, my name's Robert Taylor. Thank you for having me today. I'm a divorce attorney in Idaho, mostly Mount Home and Boise. It's a pretty cool job. We focus a lot on uncontested divorces and helping people who either have an agreement or are interested in reaching an agreement to get there. It's similar to mediation, but more practice, more of the law practice inside than the mediation side. It's it's simple. The name of the firm is Taylor Law and Mediation, so we do both, but focus a lot on the uncontested divorces right now. I'm based in Mount Home, Idaho, which is right next to Mount Home Air Force Base. And we were scheduled to talk about military divorces today. But last week I was driving to work and they were talking about Kelly Clarkson's divorce. It was finalized and they were talking about it on the radio. And some of the hosts were kind of surprised at the outcome and the numbers that we're probably discussing here in a few minutes. And also asking just regular questions like how does child support end? How do they figure that out? And I just kind of thought maybe that would be a more interesting topic to discuss instead of maybe military divorce. Maybe you can have me on again and talk about that some other time. I've only handled one divorce in my entire career that had any military uh, implications. So I think that's a really interesting topic because there are a lot of people out there who have military connections and the benefits for military people are much different than for non-military people. But today... We're going to talk about a celebrity divorce. And, you know, I asked you to do some really digging on this. And I did some digging myself, but I want to hear what you have to say about Kelly Clarkson and her divorce. Yeah, I thought when you started off that sentence with, hey, I've only done one military divorce, I thought you were going to say you've only done one celebrity divorce. (laughs) I wish I had had a celebrity divorce. Yeah, well, I'm sure if you had whatever these parties paid in attorney fees, you may be able to retire with just one celebrity divorce. It looks like it. I see that actually Kelly Clarkson had to pay her ex-husband's attorney's fees at $1.25 million. That's a nice legal fee. Yeah, I don't know if I could retire, but we'd take a nice vacation. I certainly could. So, But yeah, let's talk about Kelly Clarkson. Her divorce was finalized last week. She was married to a guy named Brandon Blackstock. And it's kind of an interesting story behind how they met, as well as their divorce itself, and then kind of what happens next. Brandon Blackstock is known for a couple of things. The first is he is a music manager and he manages Blake Seltron. I used to, and he used to manage Rascal Flash as well. But more interesting is his longtime and no longer present, but former stepmother happens to be Reba McIntyre, who I think Kelly Clarkson definitely considers family now and a mentor, but I think she grew up fangirling off of Reba. And then got has the opportunity to, Reba was basically her kid's grandmother at this point. And they know, and her manager was actually Brandon Blackstock's dad. So that's how they kind of all met behind the scenes. And I think of interest, you know, him being Blake Selton's manager, I think definitely led to her being on The Voice, which led to her having her own talk show. So there's a lot of personal history 
And if you ever watch The Voice with Blake and Kelly, they're always going back and forth. And it's clear that they've spent some time together outside of the show and got natural chemistry and giving each other a hard time. So there's kind of a lot going on personality-wise, buying Reba into it. Uh, this family connection between Blake and Kelly on The Voice. Yeah. And, and Reba. But basically, when COVID first started happening, they retreated to a ranch property in Montana for a period of time. And I think like, I don't know if you've seen an increase of divorces because of COVID, but I think all that alone time together likely led to this divorce. And there's also reports that Brandon wanted to leave Hollywood behind and be a full-time rancher there on the Montana property. I mean, I don't know Kelly Clarkson, but I imagine that she probably had a hard time with that with the success of The Voice and her new talk show going pretty well. I think it's one of the higher rated talk shows. So she probably wasn't super excited about the ideal of leaving that behind for a ranch life in Montana. Got it. So they moved to a ranch. There are horses there. I did see some photos of him riding. I don't know if she was riding. So she was still actively engaged in the talk show and singing and the voice. Well, I remember watching her talk show and she was doing it from her computer at home. You could tell she was singing and she had the music people. I don't know if they use Zoom, but they were doing it all virtually and she was hosting it from her home office there at the ranch for a while. Yeah, got it. I say they made adjustments like the rest of us during COVID. So, yeah. So maybe that was one thing that was uh, emphasized the differences between the two of them. She's maybe a city girl and he was going to be a rancher. He wanted to be a rancher. Yeah. She got, I think, got a word of the ranch or he's, I can't remember what happened to the ranch, to be honest. I saw it, but trying to see what happened to the ranch. I don't think, I think he wanted to keep it, but he couldn't afford to keep it. And so they're probably going to sell it and split the proceeds, which I think this is pretty common. Obviously, not everybody has vacation ranches in Montana, but I think this is pretty common with most community properties. You know, if one party wants to keep it or not, it's about whether or not they can afford it or if they can afford to buy out the equity in the, to the other party. And if the answer is no, then selling the property is a pretty common response or outcome. So where was this divorce, in California or in Wyoming? It would have been Montana, but it was in California, I believe. Oh, okay. So and I would be curious to see how the difference would have been different, or the outcome would have been different in Montana versus uh, California, because I mean, we're in Idaho, so Montana is basically our next-door neighbor. And I don't know anything about spousal support in Montana, but it's not as common. And the courts aren't as spousal maintenance friendly in Idaho as they appear to be in California. And I would imagine Montana being closed, that wild, wide west mentality. I think here there's a mentality that you should provide for yourself and take care of yourself before somebody else does. And so I would imagine that Montana probably feels pretty close. But California seems to be pretty happy to hand out spousal support. Apparently in this case, and, and other celebrity divorces I looked at recently. Yeah, so I'm sorry, I misspoke with Wyoming. For some reason, I thought the ranch was there, but it's Montana. So they must have residences in both California and Montana, you would Correct. think. Yeah, the court awarded him $115,000 a month in spouse support until January 2024. That's not that long, is it? I mean, it's a lot of money. It's a huge amount of money. It's just not that long. Yeah, relatively speaking, I've I've heard of much longer periods of spousal support. I've never heard of that amount of money in my experience. Oh, no, no, mine either. There's also some young kids from this marriage. Now they have two kids, a boy and a girl. I want to say they're five and seven. And then the child support was set at 45000 a month. And 
what I kind of found interesting in this case was that the child custody, at least in Idaho, you know, child support's based off of the income of both parents and then the parenting time for each parent. Father, in this case, was only awarded a week and a month with the kids. He has the first weekend and the fifth weekend for those months that have, you know, five weekends in them. Oh, that's, that's all? Yeah. Huh. So she has the, the kids are with, uh, with uh, Kelly Clarkson the rest of the time? Yeah. So, I mean, he arguably has the least amount of parenting time you can have a month and he's getting $45,000 a month for those two days. That is quite astounding, isn't it? Usually it's divided by parenting time and their respective incomes. So I wonder if any income was attributed to him because he was a music producer at one time, wasn't he? The husband? Yeah, he was a manager. I saw him described as a talent manager and an amateur pilot. I imagine he probably doesn't make a lot of money flying. So it seems that management was his main business. It seemed that he wanted to leave all that behind and, and become a cowboy. I don't know what his income looks like. It's hard to imagine he has a lot of income if the court's giving him 115000 a month for the next, what is that, two years? Between the child support and the alimony? Well, the spouse support itself was one fifteen, so then 45000 on that's one sixty a month. Mm-hmm. A person can live on that. And and she gets about what, nineteen million a year or something from, from the voice? Or was it total? Gets paid from the talk show and whatever her music does. Mm-hmm. So what do you think her income is? Um annually. Maybe about twenty two. Twenty two million a year, twenty three million a year. Yeah. So if you got twenty three million a year and not a lot of money a year, you I mean, that's probably how you get to 45000 a year. I'd hate to see what 50-50 would have looked like. Well, 45000 a, a month, she's paying him in child support, right? Yes, for two days of custody a month. So that's over half a million dollars. It's $540,000 in child support. And that'll continue on for a while because these kids are young. Yeah, until the first one's 18 or it graduates high school or becomes self-supporting. Mm, yeah. And the alimony is just good for what, 2022, 23, and in January of 24 it ends. Correct. Right. And that, would you say 115000 a month? Yes. For about 24 months. Let's just see. And then she gave him about $1.4 million as a one-time payment as well as part of the settlement. Got it. So what's happening to the house? He's going to stay on the ranch, I mean. He's going to stay on the ranch and then it gets sold? Yes. He's allowed to stay in it for a certain period of time and then he'll sell it and they're probably split whatever proceeds are left or mm, unless he wants to buy her out. Yeah. Or she can buy him out. I can't remember. I saw it was worth a few million dollars. I don't think he's going to make enough in spouse support to be able to afford uh, the ranch. These are the kind of choices people have to make, whether they want to hold on to real estate or have cash, you know, what kind of asset they want. If that ranch means a lot to him, maybe he'll figure out a way to buy her out. Yeah. Yeah. Some amount of time to, to figure out the finances. Maybe he goes back to work. I suppose that's a possibility too. Maybe he does a, a tell-all movie or something. I don't know. Write a book. Did you read anything about, well, this is a settlement, so I presume there was no trial, but any of the facts about whether there was any infidelity or any issues about their marriage or the reason for the breakdown? I haven't seen any reports on either side. It does appear that they went to Montana and spent uh, a period of time together, and that was probably enough time for Kelly, or she maybe she realized during that time it wasn't 
the relationship she wanted to be in at that point. But it doesn't appear that there's any issues on either side. Yeah. How long was this marriage? They got married in 2013. 13. And she's how old now? I can't remember how old Kelly Clarkson is. She's like my my age. which Late 30s? How old are you? I'm 38. She's 39. Yeah. You guessed that right. Right around your age. age. Yeah. And Brandon, the husband, how old is he? Uh, I believe he was a little bit older. He's 45. So he was a little bit older. Yeah. And he's been, he's been married before and had kids. Yeah. He has two kids from his first marriage. So Kelly was a step parent for a while. Yeah. And is this Kelly's first marriage? This is Kelly's first marriage. She, had, I believe she said she hadn't actually planned on getting married or thought that was something for her until she met him. Uh-huh. And then I don't know if you recall, but when American Idol ended the first time, which ended up being a lot like Tom Brady's first retirement, <laughs> she performed a song piece by piece. Uh, and it was pretty emotional. She was pregnant with her second kid at the time. And it was a song that she had written and recorded about what a positive figure he had been in her life and their kid's life. So at one point, this was a pretty positive relationship. Pretty, they got, both got a lot of happiness out of it, it appears. Uh-huh. Well, that's interesting. And there's no prenup, obviously. Hmm. Oh, doesn't appear to be. That probably... I mean, I, I did see reports because this kind of came as a surprise to, I think, a lot of people who may not have known or thought that they were having problems. It seemed like she was in Montana recording the show every day and then, by the way, filed for divorce. And so kind of made the news cycle there as kind of a surprise. It is surprising that with the kind of wealth that celebrities you know, accumulate over time, there aren't more prenuptial agreements, you know? Yeah, I think especially when you make a lot of money. I mean, they both were pretty successful in their own rights. I think that most people, you know, if you want to measure success by money, I think Kelly Clarkson would win that. But I don't know that that's the only measurement of success. They were both professionals and and made a lot of money in their chosen career ahead of time. So it is surprising that they wouldn't have a prenup. Well, on the subject of prenups, I mean, some people have the general opinion that they're not very sexy or romantic. And they're, you know, they force people to have uncomfortable conversations about priorities and division of assets and imagining the possibility that they may not be together forever. So those are difficult thoughts. Yeah. I generally encourage people, though, that like, I mean, it does kind of, no one wants to think about the end of the relationship, but you're never going to be in a better mood or happier thoughts or having a better place, I think, mentally to have that conversation than at the beginning of the marriage versus at the end when things go wrong and or could go wrong. And, you know, worst case scenario, you draft it up and you leave it in a drawer for the next 80 years and Never use it, you know? Hopefully never need it. Yeah. yeah, it is. They are important documents, those prenups. It forces people to have those difficult conversations because a lot of people don't like to talk about money. But when you're negotiating prenup, you got to talk about money. And that flushes out a lot of issues, potentially differences between people's, you know, approaches to money and credit and debt. Also, it forces them to disclose to each other what they have. Yeah, it seems crazy. Not really knowing what the other person has, I guess. I mean, I got married and I didn't inspect my wife's bank account. Mm-hmm. My wife also never won American Idol or has her own TV show. <laughs> so maybe she was a teacher. Uh, so I just kind of assumed she didn't make Kelly Clarkson money, but it is interesting. I don't know. I think it's not just about the money. It's like planning the end of your relationship. And some people think that like, if you have that conversation, you're already looking for a way out. You know, it's kind of like a will. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, I need a will, but I don't want to, like, you're still going to die. It doesn't matter. It's just a matter 
it doesn't matter if you have a will or not, you're not going to live longer because you have one or don't. It's just about being prepared in the event of your death, which everybody dies at some point. Yeah, well, death is inevitable, but divorce is avoidable. So there is there is a difference between those two, although I appreciate the comparison you made. It is avoidable. I think a lot of times it could be avoided if people pick the right person on the front end. I'm often surprised when I take a phone call or meet with a client in person and listen to their side of the story. And you can tell, and it's not like this person's a good person, that person's a bad person, just sometimes they're not a good fit together. And you can get that impression pretty quickly. But in the back of my mind, I just want to ask, like, you know, you got to make this choice, right? Like you got to pick who you married. And this is this is the choice that you made. And, you know, listen to all the problems. And maybe they're not even problems. They're just areas where they you're conflict with each other, you know? And it's just like, man, you, this would have been avoidable. How'd you have this realization and had all these conversations? six years ago, whatever the case is. Yeah, I talk about it in terms of la-la land, speaking of California, where people just live in the dream of what they want their relationship to be rather than what it is and aren't willing to really work toward making it that dream and kind of accept the way it is. And sometimes, you know, sometimes people work at it. I, a lot of times people that get divorced before they come to us, they've been working at it through marriage counseling or conversations, but they just can't seem to overcome their differences. Yeah. There's a statistic that says like the more money you spend on a wedding, the least likely you are to remain married. And I think, you know, that's pretty much what you were saying. You know, it's what you want. People look at it, what they want it to be and not what it is or don't want to do the work. I don't know. I I feel like a lot of people want to get married. A lot of people want to have a wedding, but maybe they don't want to be married. The wedding is appealing to people, the party, the wedding, the excitement, the status, whatever it is that they're imagined, the fantasy that they've had about their lives. It's true. Sometimes that drives the decisions. The La La Land thing, I, I see when new clients come in for divorces and they describe their lives. And even after meeting them for 30 minutes, I think to myself, they're not really getting what's going on here. And you know, who am I to assume that I know what's going on in their lives? But more often than I'm not, I'm right that I can kind of see the circumstances based on how they've described their lives, their marriage, their circumstances, and and think to myself, well, I'd like to identify these as the issues for this person, and maybe that would help. But, you know, when I just start a new relationship, it's a little presumptuous of me to say that to a new client. Yeah. Sometimes I do have conversations where I talk to either my client or the spouse and I get off the phone and I'm like, yeah, I could see why this isn't working out. And I would say it's equally both my client and the spouse times. It's not one or the other, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah. yeah, clear to see why that, maybe it's clear to see why that relationship was not going to work. Yeah. Well, you know, there's only two people in a relationship and that's an even number. So if they can't agree or have a method for reaching agreement, then conflict is uh, inevitable on some issues. You you can't, you know, can't agree on everything. So you're married. I'm married. Got a wife. We got three kids. We do not have a prenup. No. Are you originally from Idaho? Uh, I moved out there when I was nine or out here when I was nine from Ohio. Before that, I lived in Tennessee and South Carolina. My mom's a retired Air Force member, so I'm an Air Force brat. So we lived in a few places and then moved out here when I was nine and she retired. I see. So no prenup for you? No. I had anticipated when I got married that I would have a prenup, but I, I got married without one. Mostly because I'd been in the military for a long time before I got married. 
and I wanted to protect my military retirement. And as an attorney, I understood what you know the importance of that. And as someone that's helped divide it up military retirement, I, I know firsthand what that could look like. But my wife's a teacher and she gets Percy, which is part of the state retirement account. And I believe that her retirement was probably better than my retirement. <laughs> and she'd been a teacher about the same amount of time I'd been in the army. And so it's like, well, if I have to divide it up, we're going to divide yours up. We'll divide mine up. I'll probably come out ahead. Uh, so I was like, I don't need a prenup. I don't plan on getting divorced anyways. I'm glad your wife will be happy to hear, happy to hear that on, on a podcast. Yes. And I guess, I don't know, maybe my wife would like to hear I didn't need the prenup because I so in love and knew it wasn't going to be ended and I just trusted her and all that stuff. But I think just from a practical standpoint, it was like, well, you got more to lose than I do. If you don't want one, I don't want one. You know, my wife was married once before me and I, you know, understand how they ended things at the end of their relationship. And I pretty low conflict, you know, and I kind of did trust that like, hey, if we did get divorced, I could trust and look at the previous record. Only one, but that, you know, that example of low conflict, you take your stuff, I take my stuff, not try to hose each other out. They did their own divorce by themselves, um, reached their own agreement for custody, you know, so I kind of thought of that as the worst case scenario. And I thought, yeah, it's a, I don't, I don't need a, a prenup. Let's get, that's the worst case. No, oh, well, good for you. I'm glad you that uh, you I took that approach. I don't want to get divorced. I'll throw <laughs> that out there. Duly noted. Yes. Put that on the record. Uh huh. Yeah. So you have some stepchildren. We do. We have a 15 year old and a 12 year old from her first marriage, and then we have a four year old together. Ah, uh-huh. how does that work out? Uh, stepchildren. Out yeah, good. They get along. All the kids get along, and she likes her big brother and sister. I kind of joke because we do that. We do week on week off. And so their dad comes and gets them Friday after school. And I'm always like, you're going to take all three kids, you know? And like, he's like, no, I'm like, I watch your kid, kids, two kids every other week, every other week forever. What, you can, you can take my one kid for two days. That seems fair to me. That seems like a good natured tease. Does it feel that way? Yeah. Yeah. I'm teasing, but if he would take my kid, I, I wouldn't complain. And, you know, we used to have a week on, you know, when my wife and I first started dating, we would date during the week without the kids until we got to the point where we introduced the kids to myself and then we moved in together. And then the week without the kid was nice because we could hang out, do our own stuff, have go on dates, go to dinner, do whatever we wanted. And then we had a kid together and now there's a kid Every week at the house. All the time. Yes. Yep. Which is great. Yep. We love the kid, but it just makes it harder to to have that week. You know, we got to find time together now. Yeah, it's harder. Yeah, for yeah. sure. That's the wonderful thing about kids and the limitations. Yeah. Well, I think it's a good trade-off overall, though, and fun. For sure. I, like I think kids. All. I think kids are important. Yeah. All right. Well, cap back to Kelly Clarkson. Anything else you want to talk about with her? We wish her well. Yeah, I wish her well. I don't know if we just didn't have this nice long conversation about how much I love my wife and family. I might ask her to call me if she listened to this, but I think that ship has sailed. But nonetheless, I did want to ask you a question, though, because you practice in Massachusetts. I do. It's kind of what, you know, your experience or perspective on spousal support, what it looks like there. You know, we talked a little bit about Idaho and California seems to be pretty friendly in that area. Well, that's a big question with a complicated answer. So it depends on whether there are children involved. So let's assume there are children involved and let's assume that the incomes are between the two spouses are uneven. 
or that one doesn't have an income. So the first calculation, we have something called the child support worksheet, and that uses combined income of $400,000 from both spouses. It could be 400000 from one and zero from the other, but it's a total of that amount. It uses the first chunk of money to calculate child support, and if there's any left over after the child support calculation, the, the excess is used to calculate alimony. And the alimony calculation is one number minus another number times a percentage. So it's the difference between those two excess numbers that can pop out on the child support worksheet. The percentage has not been defined in Massachusetts because in 2019, as you know, because this was a federal change, alimony was no longer deductible to the payor. So prior to that, and, and even still, our statute in Massachusetts says that percentage is 30 to 35%. But that's assuming that alimony is deductible. And now the, that it's no longer deductible, that percentage is lower. So typically between, let's say, approximately 22 to 25%. So it's a mathematical exercise. But then you get to the question of what's included in a person's income. They have, could have a base pay plus commissions. And then how do you figure out what the commissions are? What numbers do you use? Do you attribute income to someone who who's, has low earnings at the moment but could make more? You know, what should that attrib- attributed income be? And then you do the math on the attributed amount. So, as I said, it's a complicated answer <laughs> to what could be a simple question. Do you have child support guidelines in Idaho? We do not. We have guidelines for child support. For spouse's support, it's kind of a two-element test. The first is that the party that's seeking it lacks sufficient property to provide for their own needs. And that second, they're unable to support themselves through employment. If the court finds both those two factors exist or two elements exist, then there's a list of factors in the statute that the court can use to help determine the amount and the length. But there's no formula, there's no guidelines, there's really nowhere for the court to, I don't want to say start, but it really comes down to the parties proving the amount that they need for the length that they need it for, and then the other party kind of showing or demonstrating how much they can afford to pay. Yeah, the standard here is need and ability to pay. So it's the need of the party who's claiming they need alimony, and also the claim that the person who has who's going to be paying alimony has the ability to pay it. So it's those two factors and a whole bunch of other factors in our statute too, like health and education of the parties, employability, likelihood of an inheritance, those kinds of things factor in. Yeah. When I first started practicing, I had a case where the party wanted spousal support and I reached out to a mentor and he told me he'd been practicing for about 22 years at the point in time and had seen spousal support awarded one time in a case. It was pretty rare in Idaho. I mean, I've, I've had it in one case myself where it wasn't voluntarily. I've done several where the parties have agreed that it would be appropriate and agree to the amount and the length of time. Huh. Oh, that's very interesting. Sounds like it happens more often in Massachusetts. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Robert, it's been a pleasure having this lively conversation with you about Kelly Clarkson's divorce and a little bit about military divorces and a little bit about how Idaho and Massachusetts handle child support and alimony. Yeah, thank you for having me today. Yeah, so if anybody has any questions about military divorces in particular, or maybe even celebrity divorces, because Robert seems to enjoy talking about that. I'm just a huge Kelly Clarkson fan. Oh, okay. And you can contact him. You want to give us your contact information, Robert? Yes, my email address is Robert 
at taylorlm.com. That's T-A-Y-L-O-R. L as in Lima and M as in Mike or uh, Law and Mediation. So Robert at taylorlm.com. Wonderful. So thanks so much. Thank you. Have a good day. Sassoon Simrod has attorneys who meet your dynamic needs, handling legal matters, including tax issues, real estate transactions, business law, and of course, divorce and post-divorce matters. I can be reached at the same number, 617-969-0069, but my email address has changed. It's now hgrossman at sassoonsimrod.com. Sassoon Simrod is spelled S-A-S-S-O-O-N-C-Y-M-R-O-T. Thanks for listening.